when my first child was born, I was there in the moment that I held him, he held onto my finger. So at that point I'd started breaking out into corporate world, right? And you're always going, to, I don't know about some people, but sometimes you're going to the corporate world with, you know, misconceptions or preconceptions about all these other bits and pieces, calling them insecurities, whatever. But I guess at that point it made me recognize, actually I have somebody here who needs me to be me, regardless of what. So I think it totally changed the way that I viewed things. And then when I had two others as well, so I've got three boys, I'm like, okay, I kind of gone through what I've gone through, the lived experience of a black male in the UK. <laughs> and then end up with three boys for no reason. <laughs> God has given me these three boys for a reason. It's true, you know. <laughs> this is like, boy, my job is to is best help them navigate and not go through some of the things that I went through. I'd like to understand a bit more about Libby, about the journey behind it. And to kick things off, I was looking at your Instagram and I saw a post. You said that seven years ago, you had a dream, then life happened. And then you started two years ago and I swear, and now it's coming to fruition. Mm. What was that dream seven years ago? So seven years ago, so just to give you a little bit of background. So I have three boys. Um, they are 13, 11 and nine now. So growing up, I always had challenges around finding toys that look like them. For me, based on my background and some of my life experiences, that was a very important thing. And so when I didn't see in the marketplace at that point of time, I was thinking, hey, need to start something like this. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, life happened. So I had some life challenges to deal with and stuff. And then, yeah, at the end of that process, even though I didn't have the means or all the other bits and pieces, I felt very inspired again to pick it up, um, to pick up the dream again. And like I said, even though I didn't have all the resources and everything out there, I believe that sometimes when your faith is strong enough, life shows up and life showed up. So yes, yeah, so two years ago, we started the journey and we only got it. We only released it to market properly in September gone, but that two years was spent prototyping, working, finding supplies in China, manufacturing process back and forth about, you know, make this better and all of that. So yeah, so that's kind of the journey. Why did you think it was important to find toys that looked like your boys for your boys? Um, well, like I said, being a father, um, I recognized before I'd even done the research, there's something that I knew from my own personal background and some of the journeys that I'd been on and some of the explorations I went on. And that's part of my life journey as to who I was and how I had picked up certain ways of thinking. And I recognized that actually toys play a major part of that. You know, the fact is children become what they see. The other side is when they are omitted from something, then it's like, well, okay, that's not for me. And I've never wanted to set that context for my children. So in terms of books and everything else, um, it's been important that they see themselves represented. And also, as we know, I mean, from Piaget, who, you know, is meant to be the father of child development, we know the impact of toys and play and all of those things in terms of how children form their own self-identity, not only about who they are, but all who they are in relation to the world. There's also many other studies that I found out later in terms of actually children who play with toys that look like themselves develop do better in school, go on to, you know, do better in their careers and all that. So for me, it became a major, major factor. Uh, growing up, did you have any role models yourself that you looked up to? When you talk about like children being able to, they become what they see. What did you see? So growing up, um, predominantly, so I grew up initially in, in East London. Um, I came from a Nigerian family, which meant that I was exposed to a lot of my culture 
and people from my culture, but I couldn't contextualize it. The majority of what I saw out there was not looking like me. Um, and so, yeah, I think in many ways, there the came a period of time when I used to ask myself the questions when I was young, like, why am I black? Why am I, why not, why, like Billy or all these other people and all this stuff that I'm seeing on television. It only took me when I became more of an adult and spent time through psychology and personal development, looking at actually my whole life and how I came to take on some of those identities that I realized the full impact of it. But um, in terms of role models, in the immediate household, my dad was present, had lots of uncles and aunties and stuff. So initially those were my role models. Beyond that, I couldn't think of any other role models that really looked like me. And then on this journey of you going on like this self-discovery journey that you've gone through through your childhood and I don't know how long, how long, I don't know if there's even something, I don't know if journeys like that ever really end. To be <laughs> they honest. don't, they don't. I don't know. But when would you say that you started to really, or if you have, I could even say that like, you started to really come into yourself and start to step into your identity some more? This journey now has been more roughly, I mean. I'd say I've been fully on this journey now for about a good 30 years. Um, <laughs> at which point do I think that um, I step into myself? I, if I'm going to be honest, I'd say maybe in the last three or four years. Because up until then, life sometimes is about layers of onions. And just when you think you found yourself, then you find out actually that's the full self. That's the ego. That's the some other form of programming that's come into it. So um if I'm going to be totally honest, sometimes as I wake up, I'm still asking the question, who really am I? Who really am I? So yeah, it's an ongoing journey, to be honest. You know, when you talk about it like that, because I feel like that sometimes, but I feel like it maybe from a slightly different context. So I, um, you were born here, right? Yes, I was, I was born here. Yeah. And your, your first generation born here. Your parents were born in Nigeria? First gen yeah, first generation okay. born here. So it's sim similar to myself, but it's similar to quite a lot of people, probably all my friends, actually, to be honest, it's a similar thing. And because of that, I didn't have that, that level of a connection with my grandparents. In fact, they were all in Ghana, so I'm Ghanaian heritage. Okay. Um, and my maternal grandfather in particular, but all, all of them, because you hear stories here and there, I think it would have been so good to, you know, especially my grandfathers, both of them, but they both passed away before I could meet them. Mm -hmm. It would have been so good to sit down and talk to them and all of that. And then my maternal grandfather, he's, um, he was the foreign affairs minister in Ghana. Right. Okay. But I'm, you know, and I see pictures of him doing X, Y, Z and traveling and that kind of thing, but I never got to chat to him. Mm. And me on my journey of like trying to discover myself in a self-discovery piece, I felt like that would have been so key mm. because like you said, you become what you see um, or maybe what you have exposure to and that kind of thing. And mm. I never did. But then what helped me was reading particular books and coming across people and seeing facets of myself and maybe some other entrepreneurs or I read Kwame Nkrumah's autobiography. Okay. Um, but these are little things that was on my own personal journey or self-discovery, mm. which helped me to get to the point where I'm at now. And I'm nowhere mm. near the finished article, but I'm more comfortable now in who I am compared to maybe when I was growing up, mm. when you're just trying to find yourself. Mm. And you said like you only maybe recently in the past few years or so, and I'm looking at the timelines now, this was, in the period of time where life was happening, where there was some stuff happening. Correct. So you go through some challenge and then you overcome it. I don't know, you're learning through the challenge, I suppose, and all of that, and then stepping into who you are. What role has challenge, like life challenges played <laughs> in you being who you are today? 
I am the product, I would say, of of my life challenges. <clears throat> um, so I came from, I, I, I was born here. At the age of 10, I was taken to Nigeria on a six weeks holiday. You might know it from Ghana. I'm sure there's many Nigerians out there who yeah. they know what's coming next. Anyway, yeah, six weeks holiday finishes. They're taking me looking for schools. And I'm like, hang about. Oh, hold on, I've got a school, right? Like, holiday's Billy, done. There's Amanda, there's Sabinda, all my friends like Denver. It's like, no. So I'm taken to school. My mum comes back here because she took sick. So kind of long story short, I was thrown into a situation at the age of 10 whereby, you know, the family had split up. I had to go and live with my grand. Didn't even speak the same language. So I'm thrown into a whole new culture. Left to kind of more or less defend for myself. Um, and... Prior to that, I told you that, you know, obviously I had some people in the household, but most of, I didn't really have any role models. But at the time, it was like a nightmare for me because it came with many challenges, understanding a new culture, being ripped out of your existing world and all the things that you knew. But afterwards, for me, it was a total blessing because it gave me a context of who I am in a way that I could never experience. I being in Nigeria, growing up in Nigeria, seeing people who look like me, understanding how people overcome challenges and aspire to different things, that was really good. Then when I came back to this country, um, me and my dad, um, this is at the age of 14, we weren't really getting on a lot as well. So at the age of 16, I left home. Um, I joined a gang and got myself into all sorts of different things that I had no business getting myself into. Um, so once again, through those challenges, I think you start finding about who you are. I think through those challenges, you get a chance to sometimes see your ego at play, but then afterwards you get a chance to see actually that's, there's more to you than that. And yeah, um, my life since then has had many other different challenges. Um, went for a divorce and all of these type of things. And when you've got children involved, but the point that I'm making is I think that each time I go through these challenges, you find out a little bit about yourself that you may not have known. And sometimes you're just like, wow. Um, I'm a big fan of that saying that, um, you know, <laughs> I think it's mother Teresa who says that quote that God never gives you more than you can handle. So every so often you're like, whoa, God, you've got too much faith in me. Just stop that right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, no more. So yeah, I think challenges help people grow. Can you talk a bit more about when you were 16 years old? So what that the living situation was like and also that gang situation as well? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, at 16, I was at, back at home by then, obviously, as a, a child who'd been through what I'd been through. I came with my own baggage at that stage and my own anger. And me and my dad were just used to be going off at it. And then, yeah, at that, that point, it was easier for me to stay out to go home and this is what i say mm. to a lot of, of people sometimes we see these children out on road and we, we we make complaints about them not understanding actually for some of them the pain of being at home is much worse than being out and that was the situation for me and then it's easy to gravitate and draw people who may be in similar situations even though we may not be able to verbalize it but the pain is the pain mm. to hang together and you know and so yeah i mean that was my life for many many years of you know from many, many circumstances in that situation. And that changed for me at the point when somebody gave me a letter from Willie Lynch. I'm not sure if you've ever come across that letter. Um, and tell me about the letter. So Willie Lynch was basically one of the greatest slave masters back in days of slavery. He was very notorious and famous for breaking slaves. 
and they used to pay for him to go to different plantations and different countries to come and use his techniques. Cut a long story short, there's a book, there's a letter out there which is called Willie Lynch's Letter. And it just basically talks about the different techniques that he used to break down and make slaves obedient. In there were things like, you know, turn light skin versus dark skin to those from the West against those in the East, those who live up in the hills against those, the plantations versus the house, old versus young. And looking at my life, then I'm like, whoa, this guy could have wrote this today. Like, this is what's going on around us. Like, wow. And so for me, that was kind of like the changing point. That like, oh, so you mean in what I thought I was being a rebellious person fighting against the system, in effect, I had just been hoodwinked into being exactly what they wanted me to be. And so that point, I'm like, okay, cool. If that's the case, if that's what they want me to be, I'm going to 360 this and switch it up. Sent myself to university, graduated with a first class degree, got a PhD, got put on the government, on the government's one of the, the, the programs for the highest attaining students, 10% of the highest attaining students at the time. And then from there, just managed to build my career, build myself, rebuild my life and all of that. That's nuts. I've heard of Willie Lynch. I haven't heard of that letter. <laughs> yeah, just look it up. You'll find it, man. It, it, I mean, if you read that letter, trust me, even to today, you'll be like, wow, that's just, that's like, oh my gosh. So even after that, I'm like, wow, this guy must have been great at what he's done. Because he also says in there, actually, if you do this properly, it will go on for generations. You won't have to do nothing anymore. Yeah, because oh. as you're speaking, I'm thinking of things like colorism and all that. It's, it's still a thing now. It's still hair, a thing. They talk about hair, everything, everything. Look at the postcards wars and all of that. It's just like an extension of the same thing. You're like, wow. That's nuts, man. Speak to the power of education. How did fatherhood change your perspective on life? Fatherhood totally changed my perspective. So I've got three boys. I've been a hands-on dad since day one. I'm a co-parenting father now, so I have them just under 50% of the time. It changed my perspective on a lot of things. Um, like I said, as part of my journey, I left having children to be a bit later in life because I recognized that as I started doing the work and doing the onions, you're like, wow, okay, didn't know that I got that going on. Wow, didn't know that's there. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, it significantly changed my journey. I think one of the biggest things for me I like to share is that when my first child was born, I was there in the moment that I held him and held on, he held onto my finger. I realized that actually at that point, so at that point I'd started breaking out into corporate world, right? And you're always going, to, I don't know about some people, but sometimes you're going to the corporate world with, you know, misconceptions or preconceptions about all these other bits and pieces, calling them insecurities, whatever. But I guess at that point it made me recognize, actually I have somebody here who needs me to be me regardless of what. So I think it totally changed the way that I viewed things and it changed the way my responsibilities. So I gave up a lot of stuff, you know, to be hands-on dedicated to my kids. And then when I had two others as well, so I got three boys, I'm like, okay, I kind of gone through what I've gone through, the lived experience of a black male in the UK. <laughs> and then end up with three boys for no reason. <laughs> God has given me these three boys for a reason. It's true, you know. And this is like, boy, my job is to it's best help them navigate and not go through some of the things that I went through. With uh, me being out, yeah, you said you started it. So you had the dream seven years ago and then you started to work on it properly two years ago. What happened two years ago? Two years ago, um, so I'm, I'm very spiritual. I believe that, you know what I mean? I got a, I got a inspiration from God. It was like, now's the time. I'm like, nah, God, look, the money ain't there. You've seen what I've just gone through. I'm just trying to pick up. Now's the time. Okay, how am I going to do that? How am I going to do it? Okay, step out in faith. And like I said, in the stepping out of faith, he opened up the doors, but the money was able to come in, everything else, because up until now, it's been just bootstrapped. So all of those bits and pieces and the opportunity, the great people, opportunities like this. So yeah, 
that was basically it was more for me it was more of a step out in faith type moment okay and then whilst you've been working on it then and over the past couple of years have you faced any points in which your faith was rocked so like challenges and any particular setbacks oh yeah yeah yeah. i mean like i said you're bootstrapping so at the end of the day trying to finance it then i also do my other business so you're trying to juggle those type of things as well um initially putting it out there you, as you know with any business you, you may not always get the response that you want so sometimes you're like oh gosh my gosh have i just sunk everything down the drain whatever what's this what's going on like you know what i mean so i think that comes quite often but i think as most entrepreneurs will say i think that's part of the journey with maybe so is the concept is sounds is very interesting in the sense that um well the business in of itself is very interesting it being um, an inclusive toy brand but the when i read the description about it it sounds even more interesting because okay. it's like you're bringing in your corporate experience into from what i understand your corporate experience as an agile coach into how you work or how you run maybe Correct. now if I keep reading, I didn't even really know what Agile Coach was. I, I know the term. I see it all the time. I see Agile Coach. I see Scrum Master. I had to Google it quickly. Like, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. What is it exactly? So I know, so I know what I'm talking about. So in a, in a nutshell, you know, Agile is really about helping organizations to be able to make better products and services, get them to market quicker, ensure it's the right thing that's the right offering, um, and reduce the risk associated. So it's just really about how do you get the right product and service to market quicker? You have the other additional part that we live in a complex world right now. So things change very rapidly. So in a fast moving dynamic world, how do you actually know what's the right thing to do and when to do it? And so that's what my speciality is, which I've been doing for the last 15 odd years, which is working, working in large corporations to help them to relook at how they make products and services, which sometimes involves, you know, organizational redesign, retraining people and all of that so that they can deliver stuff quicker to market. So with that, how do you, how do you bring that, that experience as an agile coach into what you're doing now with Mibi? Like how, what, yeah, how do you take the skills you've got from there into this entrepreneurial endeavor? Sure. I mean, one of the key things to so say, are you familiar with Lean Startup? The book? The Lean, the Lean Startup concept. Um, I've read the book. So. Okay. <laughs> so you know what it's talking yeah. about. So in effect, it's just, it's just that same thing is, well, actually, when you have an idea, how do you look at your own cognitive biases and actually find some form of way that you can go out there and constructively validate it at different points. So traditionally in some traditional businesses where people might have had an idea, people might go away and mortgage their whole house and put everything <laughs> into it because it's such a great idea, Yeah, but there's no data behind it. So really this is more of a data driven approach. So for example, you'll see that at the moment we've got three products out there uh, and the fourth one as well. But those are just initial kind of what we call MVPs, minimal viable products. They are there to actually test, gauge, get feedback from the marketplace about actually like this, don't like this, da, 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 da. So that as we create more and more products, you can take that feedback in and make better and better products. Um, the easiest way, one of my friends described it once is if, if you think about your phone and the apps you've got on there and they're constantly being updated, right? It's based on feedback and then they realize what new features, that's in effect what agility is. Rather than going for a big bang based on what you assume, actually, where can you start small, get some feedback and learn and inspect and adapt and grow and change your product offering to make sure it matches the market and it's great fit. So that's what I do. I see, all right. Uh, with, can you talk about bringing the product to market in of itself? So you've, you've touched on it sort of like, you 
two years ago, you start working on it properly and then you have to find the factories in China, et cetera, and then get it made and create your MVPs and that kind of thing. But what's like the first step? Like if you had to, if you had, it might not be easy to do it, but mm. if you had to like step by step, what was the first thing you'd done? And yeah, how, how, how does someone start basically something like this? How do you, where do you begin? So, so, so something like this. So I, I, I see if I can kind of break it down. So start off, you, you have a concept. Okay. One of the cheapest, quickest way to validate your concept is to come up with what we call things like might be mock designs. So it might be, can you actually come up with some digital designs of what the product might look like? Can you then take it out into the marketplace of your target market and actually speak to some people? Hey, what do you think about this concept? Would you like it? What would you change around it? So if you think about it, what's the cost to change something digitally? Nothing, right? So straight away, you, you know, you're saving money and time. Once you get that, then it might be a case of, like we said, going to prototyping. So what you see out there now, they've been for about three or four different prototypes of digitals. Then we actually got them physically made, but individually physically made. Then you get a chance to get a feel and feedback, and then you get a chance to adapt that round. Um, so then you go for that type of process. And, 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 um, yeah, even down to marketing, your marketing messaging, AB testing, testing actually, is this the right message? Because if you think about it, the type of product that we have, so MeB stands for the me I can be. The intention is because we recognize or we believe that every child should be able to see themselves in the toys that they play with. And it's easily to look at some of those things and instantly think, oh, it's just a black toy just for black people. Well, no, it's not. It's because it impacts whole of society. Yeah. My children have white friends. Those white friends, when they want to play with their toys and mimic my son or, hey, it's me and my best friend, what have they got to demonstrate that? So it has a big impact. So once again, even things like testing, how do you actually find a message which is not telling some people this is not about you. It's actually making, inviting and opening. So you have to go for many iterations of testing it out, even down to suppliers, manufacturers, you might try this one, doesn't work, that one, before you make commitments and, you know, tie yourself into to, to different contracts and stuff. So yeah, it can be a, takes a lot of mental space, so a lot. Yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine. And then you're doing this alongside being a parent, um, co-parenting and also working as well at the same time. Correct. How do you, how were you juggling everything at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I always ask people, don't ask me how. When I've done it, ask me, how did I do it? Because <laughs> to be honest, sometimes I, I, I sometimes, I don't know, but I mean, look, you got to do it right. Um, my consultancy business, it's my bread and butter. So, and it's also what funds me be, so got to do it. My kids, that's just, that's not a discussion point. That's like, <laughs> got to be done. And then maybe I feel driven and inspired and I believe in the vision and the impact that it can have that that's got to be done. So yeah, it's, sometimes it's a good juggling at some days it's a terrible juggling. At. It's, <laughs> on the floor. it's a mess, but Hey, what can you do? Okay, great. Then uh, in the last couple of years and when you've been working on it and bringing it to market, iterating slowly and getting feedback and changing things here and there, uh, have you faced any major setback or anything that you've had to overcome? Maybe it's a supplier issue or... Yeah, I mean, you've had a number of supplier issues, people who say that they can do stuff and you pay them a chunk of the money that you don't have and they don't deliver. Mm. So, yeah, you know, negative pushback and, you know, demoralizing comments and all those type of things. So we've faced all of those type of challenges. Um, yeah, but 
you know, you keep pushing through and we're still here. So, and the vision is much bigger than that. So I guess it's just, like I said, I'd like to just say it's part of the process, right? What's the goal and the vision? The goal is this, I mean, like I said, recognizing the big impact it has in terms of child development. Number one, want to be able to make it easily accessible, right? There's a, there's a couple of goals. First of all, I mean, think about the schools, mm. think about the hospitals. Okay. And I know people work in these environments. I know teachers said to me, actually, we've got over 75% children who are non-white. But actually now you've mentioned it, we ain't got a single non-white toy. Mm. All that, that's a bad thing. And then when you think about the government's every life, um, every child matters policy, which is intended to make sure every children has access to all the type of same services and all the things that are intended to make them into the best version of themselves. That's an issue. Think about the hospitals. Children are in a place whereby they need some form of comfort at the lowest. How many hospitals out there actually have multicultural toys? Think about libraries. So the intention is actually to be able to get it into all those spaces. Definitely believe that children, when they go into public spaces that offer children's services, they should all be able to see themselves. Should be just pretty standard. Um, and then the next thing goes obviously to get into some departmental stores and places like that and just make it easier. Part of the reason why I started this journey was because, like I said, when they were growing up, it was a nightmare to find stuff. In fact, if I did find some toys that are black toys or were meant to represent black, I'm like, really? Nah, I'd rather mm. they don't have nothing. Um, and like I said, I went for a period of time where I used to just buy them animals or fantasy type things. It's like, I oh, don't worry about it. You can never be a draft son. It's okay. Don't, don't be intimidated by it. But yeah, so I think that's, that's kind of driven driven that and what's the feedback been from like particularly from the children your your children your children and other children who have interacted and come across your the products you have the feedback has been great i mean my boys we've been we've, building a company with them um they've been the main focus group initially so they're the ones i don't like that dad, no, that's not good or why don't you put that on there okay cool this is the fourth prototype so now well, all right fine let's go get another one done so they've been very key for that and i mean it's been great in terms of the feedback that I've been receiving from the children. But also I think what's been great is hearing from the parents because they share things like you about how the child might be just taking that toy everywhere with them now and sleep with it at night and they can see a significant impact. And so that's really kind of the vision. We want to be able to have, I, I've seen what it's done to my children. I want to be able to share that with the world. Like, you know, it's just, it's something small, but it's big. Yeah, yeah, of course. And what's been your biggest learning? through this this journey with maybe just because people like your idea doesn't mean that they will buy it and i think the biggest journey is that it's not good enough just to have a good product or service you've got to be able to sell the sizzle not the steak i.e we've got to be able to get people to emotionally connect with whatever the product or service is in order for them to engage with it. That's interesting. That reminds me of, uh, do you know Simon Sinek? Start with why? Yes, 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 yes. That reminds me, he's got this TED talk, legendary, that I've listened to so many times. And he has this line in it, which I love, where he says, Martin Luther King, uh, he says, Martin Luther King, when he gave his, um, I have a dream speech, he said, I have a dream, not I have a plan. It hits very different. <laughs> People come in, they, they um, go, they, what's it called? They, buy into the vision and the dream, not the the plan and the 10 step plan or whatever it was going to do. It was all about the vision and the dream. So I like that. I like that. And think about that. Imagine, imagine you start off there. I have a plan. <laughs> you got to turn off. Yeah, turn off. Like, the square would have been empty. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, what? you got a plan. So I'll see you later. <laughs> but like you said, the dream allows people to be able to, you know, create 
buy into that dream, be part of that dream, but also own some of that dream for themselves. Um, yeah. 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 What advice would you give to somebody else who's wanting to start a business or start up something entrepreneurial to make some kind of a positive change, whether that's in their life or their community, their place of work, whatever in the world, someone who's trying to start up some kind of business that has a social purpose behind it, but also they maybe got some other commitments they're juggling. could be full-time work, could be family or some other personal commitments. First thing, I guess, from my perspective would be find something bigger than yourself to trust in. Cause like you said, life is going to be happening. There'll be many things that are going to happen. That's going to make it feel like it's not the right time. You got to drop it. You're not going to make it happen. You got to have something which is bigger than yourself to have trust in. Um, also have a clear vision around it. I think personally, if you ask me to have a business, which is just driven by money, I don't think that's enough of a motivator for some people it might be, but depending on what the vision is, and social entrepreneurship, as we know, is really about creating some form of change and there's always going to be some resistance and sometimes that resistance is going to be ugly. So beyond the money, you're going to need something else to hold on to. Um, and my other thing would be, um, do not be afraid to fail. In fact, my motto is fail fast and fail early. Okay. You learn more from failure. Too many of us are, you know, and I guess that's part of the journey when we go on those personal development, we start realizing actually. What's holding me back? Ah, it's all these excuses are just fear. What is it I'm really scared of? Okay, what's the worst that's going to happen? And so I think, you know, when people can get beyond failure and recognize, actually, you know what? Each time you fall on your face, you've just learned something new, right? And each time you do that, you're armed with more knowledge about how do I then approach this situation? So I think those things are important. And um, finally, I'd say go easy on yourself, especially if you're juggling life. Um, I had these dreams and goals and how timelines I wanted it to work in, but life happened. And sometimes you've got to focus on what's important in life. You can put your dream to the side. But if it's serious enough, that dream will come back and pull you back at the right time. So Nice. Uh, have you got any final words? No, I mean, yeah, I'll just say, look, we live in an age right now where technology, AI, all of these are big game changers. I like to call them enablers, right? I think they level the playing field. So... I'd encourage everybody, anybody, no matter how old you are, look, just go out there, see what you can learn out there. The world is changing. I mean, I've heard a saying, AI won't change the world, but the people can try AI will. So I would suggest anybody, if you're out there right now and you don't know what to do, that's a great starting point to learn how that stuff works. And you never knows what it's going to open for you. Great. Perfect, man. Thank you once again for coming down. Thank you so much. Appreciate you and um, appreciate the work you're doing as well. It's very important. Role Thank modeling you. is so super, super important, I think. And thinking back to myself growing up, I didn't have, I, I didn't have really have any, to be honest, man. Like, I mean, just people you respect, but I can't think of any strong role models I, I personally had until I got into my late teens. Um, mm. So it's really important and I applaud the work you're doing and um, keep it up. Definitely. So that's that. Thank you. Appreciate for, that. Yeah. Thank you. No, I mean, I just also say, I mean, at the end of the day, also kudos to you as well. I mean, you're creating a platform. I recognize that you've also invested time, energy, effort into a vision and you're creating a platform to get, you know, a message out there that we hope will create some, some change. So once again, salute you, sir. Thank you. Much appreciated. That's that. We had Ade, the founder of Mibi on a podcast. And for now, people, we're out. <laughs>